housekeeping things, okay? So sorry, we're going to go a little bit over, but four housekeeping things. First, if you're a visitor, we're so happy that you're here. Uh, and if you're watching online for the first time, we're just so happy that you would tune in. Uh, second, speaking of online, I want to give a, a shout out to Mr. John White. Uh, this man does basically everything you could possibly think of. <laughs> and he hates attention. <laughs> but when I think that we believe that social media is a really important way of outreach. It's a really important way of, of yeah, reaching the community and reaching the lost. And, and, and our social media page right now, it's, it's not abnormal when we have 500 people that watch our Sunday services, and that's because of John White. Uh, so, John, we're just so thankful for you. Um, third, there it is. Um, last week we talked about the fact that we are God's plan A for reaching the lost. Uh, we talked about missions. We talked about <laughs> God wanting to use us to minister to people. And so I want to extend this invitation one more time. Um, we have a mission trip that leaves in a couple of weeks to Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, and we're partnering with all the different churches in town, and it's going to be incredible. Uh, I know that we have several going from this church already. Uh, it's $200. We're going to be gone for a week. Let me tell you something, though. Money should not be the reason that you don't go. If you feel like you're supposed to go, if the Lord's pulling on your heart, if you're wanting to get involved uh, with missions and with what God is doing, do not let money be the reason. Uh, there's people that want to go that can't, that want to support others to go. Okay, so we can figure something out. The Lord always has a way of making things work out. Uh, and so if, if you're any bit interested whatsoever, shoot me a text, shoot me a message on Facebook, let's talk, uh, because it would be awesome if you came and, and joined us. Last thing, this is the last week of our question series, um, and so I'm going to talk about what's next. Uh, we're going to be doing a series next called uh, Not Simply Stories. Uh, and what we're going to do is actually look at some of the stories Jesus told, some of the parables Jesus told, but we're going to look at them from a different perspective uh, because we all know them, and, and we probably from Sunday school, we've talked about it when we were kids. We know the gist of the stories, but you know this. When you look at a story from a different perspective, from a different point of view, you can take a completely different message than you did the first time. Uh, for example, like the story of the prodigal son. If you look at it from the son's perspective, you get one story, one message. If you look at it from the father's perspective, completely different message. From the older brother's perspective, completely different message. From the bystander's perspective, completely different message every time. And so what we're going to do in this Not Simply Stories uh, series is talk about some different parables that Jesus told and how he wasn't just telling stories, but he was giving lessons and he was giving messages. So we're going to look at that. That starts next week. Whew. All right, let's get started. <coughs> I believe that this series has been incredible. Uh, as we've come and been honest and vulnerable and uncomfortable, every week we've been uncomfortable. But the Lord has moved, and we've become unified in some certain things, and I feel like we've taken steps uh, with each other. And so I'm excited about today. We're going to be answering a lot of questions. Uh, if you're taking notes, today is called Faith Versus Works. Uh, and if you were here on Sunday night a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, a little bit. We briefly touched on faith versus works. Also, if you're not coming on Sunday nights, we're having some really great discussion. Uh, so we'd love for you to come. But we touched on it a couple of weeks ago. We're going to really dive in uh, and answer many questions. Also, last week it was brought to my attention that I'm talking too fast <laughs> for some people. So John has prepared this. If you... 
if I'm talking too fast and you don't have time to write it down, here you go. These are where we're going to be today. These top two, First uh, John, actually not John 1, but that's okay. First John and James chapter 2. That's where we're going to be primarily if you have a place to turn to uh, those. But the rest of these we're going to be in, we're going to touch on too. Before we get started, I'm going to paint a picture of three different people. I want you to keep these people in your mind for the rest of the sermon. The first one is Katy Perry. If you've not heard of Katy Perry, she is a pop singer. That sounded like I was really old saying that just now. <laughs> She's a pop singer. Uh, but Katy Perry is a pastor's kid. Uh, she grew up in the church, accepted Christ at a young age, and then kind of, kind of stepped away. Uh, but she has a cross tattoo, and she says, I never want to forget where I came from. Remember Katy Perry. I want us to think about Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay? I'm not going to say any details about Jeffrey Dahmer because there's younger ears in here, but most of you know who he is. Just a, just a wild man. Keep him in, in, your, in your thoughts today. And then I want you to think about me. I always want you to think about me. <laughs> no, just kidding. But somebody like me, a pastor's kid, grew up in the church, ran away from the faith, came back uh, in pursuing the Lord. Think about these three people. I want us to think about... Is it possible for one of them to lose their salvation? Is it possible for them to even have salvation? <coughs> That's where we're going to be at today. The first question, can I lose my salvation? If someone is saved at a young age but runs away from the faith, never does anything about it, can they possibly lose their salvation? I want to tell you, in an encouraging way, throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus, Moses, everyone, the answer is no, you cannot lose your salvation. Throughout, hallelujah. Thank the Lord. This should be a comforting thing. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting. It's not temporary. And the only requirement is belief. Which means any sin, any family history, any past that you have, it can all be gone. The only requirement is belief. So it doesn't matter if you're the best person on the planet, you're the worst person on the planet. If you believe, you can enter an eternal relationship with Jesus. It's not temporary. It's not dependent on the good and bad things that you do. It's only dependent on your belief through what Jesus did. First uh, John 5.13. The reason I only put First John is because we're literally going to be in many passages in First John. 1 John 5.13 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. The entire reason the book is written is because John wants to communicate the life that you have because of your belief in Jesus is eternal. And it's not dependent on you. It's only dependent on Him. And then John chapter 10, verse 38. 28. I did it again. John 10, 28. It says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Uh, I want to give just a, a quick little preach on that verse right there. You could create an entire church on that verse right there. No one can snatch you out of God's hand, which means no one can snatch you out of God's plans. Okay, I think sometimes thoughts go through our mind. If I take the wrong, if I take the wrong job, you know, if I, if I make the wrong move, I'm out of God's plan. 
Nothing can take you out of God's plan. His hands are like this holding me. And, and, and God is not going to let something that you do take you out of his hands. So this should be an encouraging thing. This should be a, we can't lose our salvation. We can't do something bad enough to lose our salvation, but there's still more that we need to deal with regarding this. There's still more questions that need to be answered. Because undoubtedly, right now, we're thinking about somebody in our mind, somebody that accepted Christ, somebody that talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. Let me tell you something about Mr. Jeffrey Dahmer. When he was in prison, uh, there were pastors that came and met with him. Jeffrey Dahmer accepted Christ in the prison. He accepted Jesus. Pastors that were walking with him through his discipleship up until the point he was killed said that he was a changed man, said that his life looked completely different. But how? How is that right? These are the thoughts I'm sure that are going through your mind. They were going through my mind. How can these people actually be saved? If someone accepts Christ when they're four and five years old, does nothing about it, how can they actually enter eternity with Jesus? And here's the question we actually have to think. Is this person really born again? Is this person really a believer? That's the only requirement, is belief. Um, I want to stress that the Bible talks about before we judge anybody else, before we ever look at anybody else, we're going to look at ourselves. So this question, the question I'm about to talk about, we have to internalize it. Do I really believe? Am I really born again? Because if you are, you can't lose your salvation, but you need to make sure that you are. And we're going to talk about how to do that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace, through faith. The only way we can be saved. And this was not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay, so we know, we can see right here, we are saved through faith, through our faith in what Jesus did, we're saved. Not through our works. It's not of us. But then turn to Matthew chapter 7. I told you, we're going to be jumping around a lot today. So that's, thank you, John. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Watch this verse. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father. And so these verses seem to contradict each other. Because in Ephesians, what you see is it's not of you, it's nothing you can do to enter eternity with Christ. But then Jesus talking, he says, actually, you have to do the will of my Father. Not everyone who says the Lord will enter the kingdom. You have to do the will of my Father. And so these verses kind of seem to contradict each other. And these verses are brought up a lot by people that kind of want to trip you up. But here's the thing. We often say faith versus works. Like they're opponents. It's two different theologies. Honestly, you're saved by your faith or you're saved by the good things that you do. Two different theologies. In reality, what it needs to be is faith and works. These verses don't contradict each other. They complete each other. Okay, so what we see here 
is that actually the true test of being born again, the true test if someone actually believes is their fruit. That's how we can test and see if we, if others, are truly saved. And this brings us straight in the center of the faith versus works debate. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not actually accompanied by action. It is dead. Faith without works is dead. Here it is. If you take one thing away from today, here it is. Faith is what saves you, but works is what testifies. Okay? Faith is what saves you, but works is what testifies what God has done. We can't be saved by good things that we do. You can never do enough good things to erase the bad things that you do. You can't. But your works must line up with God's Holy Spirit, and that shows what God has done inside of you. If you are not displaying good fruit... Are you truly born again? If you're not every day living out good, spirit-filled fruit, are you truly born again? Uh, Our minds will be transformed. The Bible says God wants to transform us, body, soul, and spirit. And so as He saves us, our minds will be transformed. Our actions will be transformed. So if your actions are not being transformed, if your mind is not being transformed, are you truly born again? Do you truly believe? Galatians chapter 5. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Again, we talked about this on Sunday, and it was amazing, Sunday night. Chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Watch this. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The the word says fruit of the Spirit. Fruit, and then it lists all of these things. But one fruit. It's not plural. You don't get to pick and choose. These are not different fruits. It's not today I'm going to live in love and patience. Tomorrow is kindness. Thursday is self-control, and in between you can do whatever you want. It's one fruit. You must live by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generous, self-control. All of them. And this is the true testament. If you're living in the Spirit, you will act in the Spirit. If you're living in the Spirit, you will display the Spirit. Even Jesus himself said, you will know people by their fruit. We will be known... By our fruit. When we enter the kingdom of heaven and are looking at God face to face, we're going to be known by our fruit. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But our belief will transform us to where we will want to do the will of the Father. We will want to live in the fruit of the Spirit. We should be wanting and desiring to live in the fruit of the Spirit every day, every hour, every moment, every situation. We should be reflecting the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> I want to I clarify. 
this does not mean that you can't sin. It doesn't mean that if you sin, automatically you are like, no, you're just not in the kingdom of heaven, okay? Because that's unrealistic. We're human. We're going to sin. And our salvation is not dependent on the good and bad things we do. It's only dependent on God's grace. That is the only way that we are saved. But if our hearts and minds have not been transformed to live by the fruit of the Spirit, to live in line with the Spirit, are we truly saved? See, sinning should hurt. When we sin, we should hurt. And not because we got caught. Often, we get sad that we got caught sinning. But we're not actually sad that we were sinning. Sinning should hurt because it should be the opposite of what our minds and our hearts are wired to do. When we're saved, we're transformed. And so when we sin, we should not be happy about it. We shouldn't keep sinning until we get caught or we get called out. And the Bible talks about something called deliberate sinning. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. I'm going to read that again. That is, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Deliberately sinning, making a practice of sinning, is evident that your life, has not been transformed, that your heart has not been transformed. (laughs) If we have accepted Christ yet continue to make the same decisions with no guilt and no movement towards repentance, we do have to question, has my heart been transformed? Has my mind been transformed? I want to talk for a second about repentance. This is what repentance means. Okay, so sanctification means I'm here. That's where I want to be. Whole. I'm whole there. That's heaven. That's heavenly landing. No sin, no hurt, no pain. And I'm in the process of moving there. This is sanctification. I'm taking steps to moving there. We're being sanctified throughout our whole life. I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. But then sin is me turning back this way. Okay? Repentance doesn't mean I'm sorry. It's not me looking at God and saying, Lord, I'm, just, I'm sorry. Because I can say I'm sorry and still keep taking steps this way. And Lord, I'm sorry for this. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry that I'm going to keep doing this. No, repentance means this. I realize that I'm living in sin, and I completely turn around. Repentance is a complete turnaround. It doesn't mean you say sorry and keep doing the same thing. It means I'm going to completely turn everything that I'm doing. I know that what I'm doing is sin, and I'm going to turn. And the Bible requires repentance. And here's another thing. There's a difference in conviction and condemnation. Okay, often, uh, I I heard a a pastor at a church say this this week. He got caught in a little bit of mess, and he said, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And that's true. That's biblical. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But there's conviction. Condemnation and conviction are two different things. The Holy Spirit will convict you when you're living in sin through your conscience. Okay, he will convict you. He will grab your attention. Hey, what you're doing is wrong. Hey, what you're doing is wrong. That's from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is when the enemy starts to speak. And he says, all you do is wrong. Your identity is wrong because of this. He starts to speak lies. 
The Holy Spirit's conviction is good. It's healthy. It shows that He's speaking to you. Conviction and condemnation. It is good to be convicted when we sin. It is not good to be condemned. Your sin doesn't define you. But deliberately sinning, making a practice of sinning, shows that there is something in your heart that is yet to be transformed. If your minds and your desires aren't being changed, we have to go back to Him. We have to come back to Jesus. Jesus, transform me. Make me like you. Jesus, move in my heart. Move in my mind. That's what we have to do. We should desire to do what's right. And, and here's the thing. It's not really about your sin or your lack of sin. It's about your response to sin. Because if I respond to sin by continuing to sin, if I respond, I get caught doing something, and I keep doing it. I keep doing it. I keep doing it. That shows that there's something not right in me. But if I know that I'm living in sin, and it, and it comes to my mind, and I decide to turn and walk this way, that shows something different. That shows I'm being sanctified. I'm being worked in. My mind is being transformed. My desires are being transformed. Repentance is the key. Does your sin hurt you? Does it break your heart? Do you desire to sin? Do you desire earthly things? This is the test. We have to move towards repentance. We do have to remember that our, our sin doesn't define us. Your identity is not as a sinner. One of the questions that came in was, how can I be a saint who sins? How does that not make me a hypocrite? And that's a great question. The Bible doesn't make sense. It's not going to make sense all the time, okay? In a good way. Not like, it's so confusing. But it's, it's sometimes illogical because Jesus is illogical. His love for us is illogical. What he did for us is illogical. It's not always going to make sense. And Jesus says, I don't look at you as a sinner. I look at you as a saint. And that's what defines us. Our righteous identity because of what Jesus did. Not your sin. God used sinners all the time. Some of the most well-known names in our faith. They had a crazy history, a crazy past. Paul. Paul. Sorry, not Paul. <laughs> His face shot up. He was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Paul, in Bible, Paul. <laughs> Paul had an identity change, literally. His name was Saul, and he was a murderer of Christians. He lined them up. He imprisoned them. He killed them. And then he changed the world. Then we all come to know Jesus because of the ministry and the missions that Paul was doing. And he was a murderer. He murdered Christians, murdered God's people. King David, he's called a man after God's own heart. He was also a murderer. You can see in Scripture unbelievable examples of how David broke over half of the Ten Commandments in one story. One story. David breaks half of the Ten Commandments. Murder. He's lusting after another woman. Unbelievable. And he's called a man after God's own heart. He changed the course of Israel and the world, but he was a broken man. He was a sinner. Moses led God's people. Led God's people. He was a murderer. Moses killed somebody. And 
Moses one time was at a party, got super drunk, and, and lost his dignity. The Bible says he lost his dignity. His sons had to stand in front of him so people would stop making fun of him. Moses, God uses broken people, and their sin is not what defines them. The way that they changed the world, the way that they reached people for the kingdom of God, that's what defines them. Their identity. God washed all that stuff away, made them new people. They walked in repentance and completely turned their ways. And because of that, the course of our faith and the course of this world was forever changed. So your sin and your brokenness is not what defines you. It actually can be used by God to reach others. Your sin and your brokenness. I'm a sinful person. I'm a broken person. I hurt a lot, and I hurt a lot of people. And God still is using me despite that. Okay? That's God's grace. That's His goodness. Here's the good news. Throughout Scripture, the relationship that we are compared to having with the Lord is a marital relationship. Always. A lot in Isaiah and Jeremiah, but throughout Scripture, we're compared. We're the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. We're in a marital relationship. Here's some good things about marriage. You can write these down. Marriage is, and I'm not even married, and I'm just saying this, but y'all just, you can trust me because I'm speaking for the Bible, not from experience. Marriage is covenant. It's not contract. Okay? What this means is, A, it's not something that can just be broken, and it's not something that depends on something that you do. Marriage is not, if I do all the right things, then we're married. No. <laughs> when you enter into that relationship, all the married people, yeah, yes, that's true. <laughs> when you enter in that relationship, you're there. You're not having to do all the right things, say all the right things, wake up in the right mood. He already made that. And our relationship with Jesus is covenant. It's not contract. We can do the wrong things and still be in relationship with Him. We can make the wrong move and still be in relationship with Him. It's covenant. It cannot be broken. Marriage doesn't depend on feelings. Okay? Sometimes you wake up and you don't want to be married. <laughs> Sometimes you wake up and you don't even feel like you're married. You're like, I don't even know. I don't even know you. Again, I'm not even married and I'm saying this. I can't even imagine. But here's the thing. It's not dependent on your feelings. And our relationship with Jesus is not dependent on our feelings. God, you feel far away. God, sometimes I want the wrong things. God, I'm, I'm, I'm moving in the wrong way. It's not dependent on your feelings. He still loves you. He's still coming after you. That's how good our God is. That's how good our relationship with God is. And marriage is for life. Our relationship with Jesus is a lifelong relationship. We don't ever have to worry about it being broken off. The Bible says we are adopted into his family. When somebody adopts somebody, you don't want the kid worrying about if his dad's going to let him go. When you, when you adopt somebody, you want to love that kid. Hug that kid all the time. Make sure they know, I'm not going anywhere. And that's our relationship with Jesus. We don't have to worry about Him letting us go. We can't be snatched out of His hands. But we do know that our faith will be testified through our works. 
the way that we live will testify of the transformation that God is doing in our lives. That's how we know. That's the true test. No, you can't lose your salvation. You can't. If you're truly saved, if you truly believe, you cannot lose your salvation. And it will be testified through what God is doing through you. It will be testified through your works, testified through the, the steps that you take. Last bit of good news. I mean, there's so much good news, but the last bit of good news for today. You're going to sin, but when you do, you have an advocate. Again, back in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children. By the way, John is a very aggressive writer. When he writes in Scripture, he is almost always angry. And so for him to say, my dear children, he's really trying to get the attention of the people he's writing to. Because it's very, very unlike him. So we've got to pay attention to what he says. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but of the sins of the whole world. Jesus is our advocate. Uh, there's an organization, a nationwide organization called CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocates. Uh, my mom is actually a part of this organization in Abilene. What it means is there's a foster child who's walking through a difficult situation, and he's having to go to court. So here's court. Here's the foster child. I always do these lines. You like this? Always. I'm, I'm a visual person. Here's the foster child. Here's the court. The CASA, the court-appointed special advocate, stands in the middle. Okay, and what they do is they stand for the best interest of this child. And they stick up for him, and they advocate for him, and they stand up for them. This is what Jesus does for us. When we come face-to-face -face with God, God is called the great judge. Okay? And Jesus stands in the middle, and he advocates on our behalf. No, they're awesome. No, this is an amazing person. Yeah, they might have done that one time, but look at what they did here. This is what Jesus does for us. He's our advocate. When we do sin, Jesus is our advocate before the throne of God. Going back to these three people at the beginning, Katy Perry, Jeffrey Dahmer, and myself, someone similar to me. Can these people attain salvation? Can these people attain relationship with Jesus, eternity with Jesus? Absolutely they can, 100%. There is nothing that they could do that is too far gone that God can't snatch him up in his hand. Nothing. But the true test is do your works line up with your faith? Is your heart and mind being transformed to make godly decisions, to live in a holy way? Are you deliberately still living in sin? These things, these things are testimonies of what God is doing. <laughs> That's how we testify. It's not faith versus works. It's faith and works. And so if these individuals have truly made a decision to follow Christ and their works are lining up, they're in an eternal relationship with Jesus. They're in an eternal relationship with Jesus. Nothing can snatch them out of God's hands or his plans. And that's good news. But we have to make sure that our hearts and minds are being transformed. God wants to save you, body, soul, and spirit. He wants to transform you, body, soul, and spirit. Sanctify you, body, soul, and spirit. It's not just spirit. We can't just be saved and then, and then, and then live however you want to. 
Grace is not an excuse to sin. It's not an excuse to sin. It's God challenging you and encouraging you to live differently. Yes, I forgive you, but turn around. Yes, I forgive you, but turn around. That's God's grace. And there's, and there's no condemnation. It's in the most loving way he could possibly say it. Our submission to him, our submission to his commandments and his desires for our heart should come from the overflow of our heart. And so as we, as we close and we begin to pray, I just want you to evaluate. I want you to self-evaluate for a second. Is my heart being transformed? You're going to sin. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to do things wrong sometimes. But are you making a practice of sinning? Are you deliberately sinning? When you get caught in sin or when you know you're sinning, are you turning around? Are you walking this way? And if not, we need to have a self-evaluation and say, Lord, I love you. Transform me. And he will. He's so faithful. He transformed some of the fathers of our faith. Murderers, adulterers. He transformed them. He sanctified them. So that they could reach others. He wants to do the same thing with you. The same thing. Do your works back up your faith. Let's pray. God, I just, I just thank you that you are so gracious. And I thank you that our eternity with you is not dependent on the good and bad things that we do. Lord, I thank you that by your Son, we can enter an eternal relationship with you, an eternal covenant relationship with you. But Lord, I pray if there's areas in our heart that have not been transformed, if there's areas in our heart that we've not been saved and sanctified, Lord, I pray that you would bring those to our minds so that we can repent and turn around. You are good and you are faithful and you are just and you forgive us when we ask you to. And so, Lord, in our situations right now, where we're at, if we are walking in sin, if we're living in sin, I pray that you would bring it to our minds so that we can turn around and come back to you. We thank you that you're not just waiting for us to turn around, though, that you're, you're chasing after us, that you're longing to be with us, that all we have to do is say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I repent, I turn around, and we're back in. We're in good standing with you because of the blood that your son shed. We love you and we pray that you would meet us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.